Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, welcome. Uh, this is our third live broadcast of live legal Q&A. So I'd like to thank you for joining me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Peter Lamont. Uh, today's show is actually being broadcast simultaneously over our uh, radio station, Understanding the Law Radio. So we're going to see how that works out. This is the first time that we're doing that. Um, so you can either watch, obviously, live on YouTube, or you can join us over at Blog Talk Radio. You can go to our website, utlradio.com, and you can get the link there for the player. You can also ask your questions uh, right down below in the comment section under this live broadcast, and hopefully uh, you guys will, will do that. We have a number of questions that I've compiled from the last week that we're going to try to get through. Um, the end of August, we didn't do our live show. I was traveling, and it was uh, just an impossibility, but we're back now. So we're going to get to today's questions. I just want to remind everybody again that um, you know, the reason that we do this, the reason I do this live broadcast and, and all of the other things that we do is really to benefit you. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand their rights, their legal obligations. And by better understanding the law, I think you have a better grasp on um, how to protect yourself and how to make sure that you're also not being taken advantage of. And this is in a business sense, in a personal sense. Uh, for those of you familiar with our law firm, we handle a whole host of legal matters, everything from uh, business law to uh, personal law, contracts, family issues. So uh, we have various departments set up through the firm and we handle these things. And, and this is our way of um, giving back to the community. Among some of the other things that we do, this and the radio station, if you look at the YouTube page, you'll see uh, that we've got tutorials and things like that. And the whole idea here is that I want you to get a better understanding of the law. What we do as lawyers is not mysterious. It's not uh, magic. It's something we're trained to do. And oftentimes lawyers are you know, somewhat hesitant to give away information. And I think that by being that way, it does you know, everyone out there a disservice. So um, I just wanted to uh, to mention that. I also wanted to mentioned since we are broadcasting live on Understanding the Law Radio, that if you are interested in downloading a free book, a free audio book from Audible, Audible sponsors our uh, weekly radio shows, and they've given us a special URL, a special link that you can use to get a free audio book and a free 30-day trial, um, no obligation to get the free book. You've got to go to Audible Trial dot com backslash utl radio 
and it'll take you to that link and then download your free book. And, you know, again, there's no obligation, so why not? All right, let's get right into the first question. Um, the first question is, can I sue the public utility for not restoring power after power repairs to the township? Um, it goes on to, to elaborate that uh, work was being done by the power company, apparently, on this individual's property, and that in the course of the work, uh, the power was cut so that they could put in new, new lines and wires, and there was a delay uh, it went several weeks, and so this, this gentleman had no power. And he wants to know if he can sue the public entity for not restoring the power um, quickly enough. Just adjust the microphone for a second. Okay. So the answer to this um, really is somewhat complex, and, and I'm going to explain why I say that. Well, we've talked in the past about what it takes to have a successful lawsuit, and there's three components. Well, there's two components. Let me, uh, let me not jump ahead. There's liability and damages. So you've got to be able to prove liability. In other words, somebody did something wrong. You're going to be able to prove that they did something wrong. And then you've got to be able to show that you have damages associated with that. Now, in the case of a municipal entity, and the way that this question reads, the public utility company is a municipal entity, according to this question it becomes extremely challenging to sue them because most public entities in you know, all, all states are protected by immunities that are not afforded to regular defendants. Um, they're special. Police, fire department, um, municipal uh, you know, mayors, and, and anybody in the municipal building, essentially. Um, municipal entities difficult to sue. Well, why? Well, let's look at the analysis here, and then I'll tell you why. Is there liability? Well, we don't know from this question if the public utility company did anything wrong. I, I don't know. I can't tell from this question. Um, let's assume they did. Let's assume that they cut the power. They shouldn't have cut it where they did. They weren't able to restore it because of something they did. Okay? We could probably say that there's liability in the asker's uh, favor here. But then now let's look at, at damages. Does he have damages? Well, he was without power for a few weeks. I would imagine that he has lost stuff that was in his refrigerator. Maybe he had to go live in a hotel for, for a couple weeks. Are there damages? Yes. Now, if this wasn't a municipal entity, would you have a lawsuit? Yeah, it wouldn't be a big lawsuit. You know, a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. It's not a lot of money. But now that we're talking about a municipal entity, what happens? Well, Title 59 in New Jersey kicks in. And Title 59 is the, um, the law concerning suing a municipal entity. And it basically says that unless the municipal entity was grossly negligent, you're not going to be able to sue them. In addition, under Title 59, you've got to serve the defendant or the proposed defendant with, they call it a notice to tort claim. So in other words, you send this notice to them and then you have to wait six months before you can file a lawsuit because it's giving them the opportunity to investigate your allegations and then prepare a defense. So the answer to this guy's question is, can you sue? Yes. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. In fact, you're probably going to spend more time and money on pursuing this claim 
than you would ever hope to get out of it. And on top of that, you've got all these immunities to contend with, so you're going to have a hard time. That's not a good case to take up, uh, especially if it's on the principle of the of the thing. You know, you've all heard that before. You guys have probably said it before. I've said it before. Oh, it's not what I'm going to recover. It's the principle of the thing. Well, sometimes the principle of the thing can cost you so much time and money that you lose sight of why you thought it was a good idea to pursue it in the the first place. Um, So that's the answer to that question. And let me just add, when a lawyer tells you everything's a good case, you've got to question that lawyer because not everything is a good case. And if the lawyer can explain it to you in a way that you understand that makes sense and you say to yourself, oh, I understand why he doesn't want to take this case, then that lawyer's done a good job. But if he's not and you don't understand, why don't you want to take my case? You need to talk to somebody else who can explain it to you. Um, All right, next. The owner of a company called me passive-aggressive in a meeting. Is that legal, knowing that he doesn't have a psychology degree? Uh, He goes on to say he had a confrontation with a coworker and went to the owner's office without human resources. He felt ganged up on, uh, and then both the owner and the coworker called him passive-aggressive. And he wants to know if that's legal and if he can sue. Well, short answer, no. You, you can't sue this, sue anybody for this. Um, the question talks about a psychology degree and how is he qualified to say that. Well, this is their opinion. And we're all entitled to opinions in this country. And if his opinion is you're passive aggressive, there's nothing wrong with that. You have to look to see, well, what would the... Um, the legal cause of action be in order to analyze whether or not you have a claim, and what would it be? Well, it would be defamatory, defamation of some sort, a defamatory statement. But what's the defense to a defamatory statement? Well, the truth and uh, sometimes opinion. And here, he didn't defame the other worker. He called him passive-aggressive. That's an observation. That's his opinion. It's not part of the Um, the per se defamation statements. And what what do I mean by that? There are some things that if you say it's absolutely defamation without having to prove any sort of damages or or anything like that, it's um, if if you uh, talk about somebody's sexuality, uh, for example, someone who might be gay, and you you say things about them, that might fall into the per se defamation category or if you say that someone in your office has AIDS something like that that's per se defamation even if um, it was done negligently but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about when your boss and a coworker calls you passive-aggressive can you sue and the answer to that question is uh, no absolutely not all right now this comes from someone who is rep- representing themselves pro se meaning they don't have a lawyer, they're representing themselves in court, and they're asking a question about uh, discovery. So for those of you who don't know or haven't heard me talk about it, discovery is a part of a lawsuit where you exchange documents and information. So I'll give you the two-second rundown of what a lawsuit is, is comprised of. There's a complaint and an answer. They're called the pleadings. That's how the case is started off in most cases. 
Um, somebody files a complaint. It contains allegations. Somebody else files an answer. They admit or deny those allegations. And then there's a period of time before trial called discovery where we exchange do uh, documents, we take depositions, we ask questions, and we try to learn the facts surrounding the case so that we can then prepare it for trial. Um, one discovery tool is called an interrogatory. And an interrogatory is a series of questions. Uh, for example, state uh, what you were doing with the business documents on January 1st, 2014, uh, when you were caught in my office, something like that. It's like a definite statement. It's a question. Um, state what evidence or, or documents you're going to or plan on relying on uh, at the time of trial. Uh, state your address list the names of witnesses that have information pertaining to this case. Those are, those are the type of questions. And interrogatories are served typically once the answer is received. You serve you know, your interrogatory demands, and then there's a set period of time, depending upon your state, to answer those questions. So this person apparently was served with interrogatories before they answered the complaint. So they got served with a complaint, and then the attorney, who was um, apparently well-organized, served them with um, interrogatories before they answered the complaint. And their question is, that doesn't seem right. Uh, I haven't even answered. Why do I have to answer interrogatories? And the answer basically is um, that you don't. So once you file the answer, your time starts running on the discovery demands. Um, early service essentially is just not improper. You still have to answer the demands, but it doesn't shorten the, the time frame within which you have to answer. Uh, the, the way the rule is in New Jersey, uh, that once you answer, then your time starts running. So even if you've got those interrogatories, along with your complaint just sitting there, you don't have to worry about it until you answer. That's when your time starts. And obviously, if you don't answer then they can apply for a default judgment, and that's a whole separate issue, but uh, we can talk about that later. Let me just look at some of the questions coming in while we're live. Um, all right, let me uh, move on, and then we'll try to get to some of these live questions. All right. Um, this one, the question is, is it illegal for a notary to notarize a document when the signer is not present? Well, yes. All right, the simple answer to this is yes. The purpose of a notary is to be present at the time of the signing of a document. There are places, there are law firms, there are people that I know who, uh, if they know the individual, maybe they'll have them sign something and then it will get notarized later. Um, technically, if you want to get super technical, is it right? No. Technically, the notary has got to watch you sign the document. Are there times when that's acceptable? You know, for example, Joe Smith was in the office. Um, he needed to sign something. He forgot. By the time he got back to sign it, the notary had already left the building. He signs it, and the next morning when the notary comes back, she signs it. You know, is it is it perfectly legal? No. Does it happen? Yes. But the answer to the question is that it would not 
you know, technically be legal. And if you yourself are a notary, I would never um, advise to do that. Make sure you're there when the person is signing the document. So you're better safe than sorry. Do people do it? Yes. Should you do it? I would say no. All right. Let's go to this one next. So this is an interesting one. Uh, this is a dispute between a parent and a, uh, a child. And the child, who looks like they're a senior in high school or have graduated and, and um, the issue of college was, was being addressed, apparently the kid did not want to go to school and the mother wanted the kid to go to school. So the kid filed a motion for emancipation. You know, what basically that means is that the kid says, I want to be independent of you. I don't want to be considered a dependent for tax or any other purposes. I don't want you to control me. I want to be completely free. I want to live on my own. So I want the court to rule that I am capable of taking care of myself and that I don't have to listen to any of your rules. So after some time, it appears as though the kid finally decides hey, you know what, it looks like after a 40-hour-a-week a job, um, the kid went back to the mother and said, I think I've changed my mind, I want to go back to school. So, yeah, I, I do want to go to college. So now, after this heated argument, and the kid went and filed this motion for emancipation, which is still pending, the mother wants to know, how can he or she withdraw the motion? How do you do that? Well, the mother can't do it because the mother's essentially the defendant in this case. Um, and it, they say motion. I believe it's probably in order to show cause that accompanied a complaint. Um, so how would you go about withdrawing the motion? Well, the person who filed the motion or their attorney is the only person that can withdraw the motion. So if the kid has an attorney, he should go to his attorney and say, change my mind, made up uh, with my mom. You know, I was stupid, whatever. I want to withdraw the motion. The attorney then puts in a letter and lets the court know that the motion's been withdrawn. If the kid does not have an attorney, he should do the same thing. But I would add the next step of contacting the court clerk and saying, I'm sending a letter or I've sent a letter. I want to withdraw this motion. Please confirm that it was withdrawn. That's all that you need to do with this one. So, But they must have had some fight in order for the kid to go file a motion. you know. And then it looks like they worked for... Uh, one week of 40 hours, and the kid realized that he'd be better off in college living at home. So go figure. Uh, all right. This one says that um, she and her husband co-signed on a car loan, and then they got divorced. And as part of their divorce settlement, he was supposed to pay her for the car because it looks like from this question that he took the car. But they never addressed um, name change or ownership change with the loan company and probably not with the title either. So it's probably both – the car is probably in both their names and they're probably both on the car loan the way they were when they, when they originally signed it. So she's now getting collection letters at her house because he has not paid the car loan and she wants to know what to do. But this was a provision in their divorce agreement that he was supposed to pay for the car. So, well, what to do is easy, but family law issues themselves can be very complicated. And that's partially because of the nature of 
the dispute. You know, you're you're going to be going up against your ex-wife or your ex-husband. And most of the time, you don't have a great relationship. There are those people that, um, you know, end up getting divorced and they have a great relationship and and they're friends and everything's good. And, and that's really wonderful. I wish that it could be that way. It's better for the kids. It's better for the adults. But most often than not, you know, you end up with negative feelings about your spouse. So in this case, you know, what's the solution? Well, the easy solution is you need to go to court and you need to inform the judge that your ex-husband is not paying the bills and get an order from the court directing him to do so. And the courts will generally do that. Uh, And there's penalties for not doing that. I mean, he could be held in contempt of court and an arrest warrant could be issued. Um, So you've got to let the court know. How do you do that? Well, you either go in yourself with a motion or a complaint um, or, you know, an order to show cause. And you tell the judge, judge, here's what's going on. Here are the letters. I need help. And then the court sets a hearing date, you know, and, and that's that's one way to do it. A lot of times people who go through a divorce don't have a ton of money to spend on an attorney. But I have to tell you, uh, and not because I am an attorney, because I'll tell you when there are things you can do on your own and you don't need to waste money on an attorney. Um, there are plenty of things you can do on your own. In fact, if you go to our YouTube channel and search up some of the self-help stuff, you'll see that I put up a video that takes you step-by-step step through filling out a special civil summons and complaint. And that's really great when the dollar amount that you're seeking to recover is lower than what it would cost you to retain an attorney. So I'm not one of these guys that says, oh, everything needs an attorney. But in family law cases, you need an attorney. You're not going to get the same results if you go in by yourself. If you have an attorney and he or she doesn't, your ex, you have the advantage. If he has the attorney and you don't, you are at a massive disadvantage. And if the both of you are unrepresented, you're going to have a hard time getting across what you really want. Not because you're unable to do it, but because the courts just, you know, don't seem to take it as seriously. I hate to say this, but it's kind of true. They don't take it as seriously as when you come in with an attorney. So, simple fact of life. But the other thing is, is that don't forget, if you are angry with your ex, he doesn't like you, you don't like him, how willing are you two going to be to sit down and come to a resolution but if you're both represented or or you know you're represented and and maybe he's not at least you've got a fighting shot of having the attorneys say to to each each of you hey you know this is a good idea this is a bad idea Um, I know you're angry with each other but it really makes more sense for you to try to resolve this so handling a family matter without an attorney is a mistake unless you absolutely can't afford it. And even at that point, I think that I would, if I were you, try to speak to an attorney just to get some advice. Um, that's, that's my position with family law cases. They're not easy to do. Um, there's a lot of emotion involved, and you should have somebody helping you. Okay. Next question. And this is one that we received like three times this week. Why... And this is the general, I've, I've summed it up to this general question. Why are different attorneys at the same firm handling my case? This is a question we receive all the time here as well. We are a, um, a, you know, a, a 
six, seven, eight lawyer firm. And while I might be the main principal of the firm, and oftentimes people will meet with me and they have questions about our services or how we handle a case or what a strategy might be, um, I'm only one person. And we have associate attorneys and other um, member attorneys who will help work on cases. And we try to do our best when we've taken a new client to inform the client that this other attorney might be working with me to help with your case. And um, when you explain it to them that way, they, they seem to understand it. But there are a lot of people out there that call up a law firm, they meet with an attorney, and then the next thing they know, there's another attorney at the firm handling the case. They feel as though the attorney they originally met with isn't interested in their case or isn't taking it seriously. I am sure that there are some lawyers out there like that. But generally speaking, when you go to a lawyer or a law firm where there are more than one attorney in, 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 in the place, it's not a solo practitioner, it's a law firm with more people, you will have to expect that there are going to be different lawyers working on your case than the lawyer that you met with. Um, typically, you'll meet with a managing attorney and while they oversee your case, they'll try your case, they'll do the more complicated issues that arise out of your case, they might not be the one handling it on a day-to-day -day basis. That doesn't mean that they don't know what's going on. And they typically are supervising the other attorneys or directing them as to what to do. But, you know, we have clients that all require our attention. And, and this isn't just us, but every law firm. So is it odd that uh, you meet with attorney A and then you find out that the um, more day-to-day -day stuff is being handled by attorney B? No, it's not. And I think that it's important that um, if you have questions about the handling of your case, that you ask the attorney when you meet them. And I think that you have to also have in your mind that when you go to a law firm that has more than one attorney, you might have different attorneys working on your case. And there are people who say, oh, well, that's ineffective. But it's really not ineffective. You've got two lawyers assigned to your case. And, you know, you're, you're both working towards a common goal, which is trying to get you a favorable resolution. But you're working together. It's, it's two sets of eyes on the file. I think it's a better thing. It's a, it's a more collaborative way. And um, it happens at every law firm. Not solo practitioners, but every law firm. So just be aware of that and don't hesitate to ask questions to the lawyer. Who's going to be handling this case? What percentage of time are you going to be handling it? What are you going to do on the file? Um, but it, it's not odd at all. And uh, let's see. We're going to do one more question today um, and then we'll wrap up. Last question is, can I change child support payments? And uh, this came in in the form of two separate questions, both essentially asking the same thing. They uh, found out that their ex-husbands had a new job and he was making significantly more money. And they want to know if they can request a modification of the, their child support. And this is a very common thing. I mean, the fact that we got two identical questions in, in one week about this topic, that just shows you that this is a common theme. And I think that, um, unfortunately, both men and women oftentimes 
get their child support structure in place and they don't ask or question, well, what happens if my spouse, my ex-spouse is making more money? Uh, isn't it fair that I should be entitled to more money? And, um, and that's where these questions come from. So can I change uh, child support payments? Absolutely. How do you do it? Well, you've got to go and make an application to the court. You have to request a hearing, and the judge will look at evidence. Um, so, for example, if you are at the gym and you hear from somebody that he has a, a new job, and it's somebody that might have information about your ex-husband, um, secretary, uh, you know, new spouse, sister, something that's reliable, well, you have a pretty good, you know, shot at having that statement be true. And if you went to the court and you said, listen, I have good reason to believe that my ex has um, landed a new job, he's making more money, and when we originally were divorced, the child support agreement and the alimony were very low based upon his income, I have reason to believe that he has increased his income. That's, that's a valid point. That's a good point. Um, a court will take you seriously. If you, know, you hear somebody talking on the street about this guy that got a new job and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder if that's my ex-husband, there's no real basis for you to go to the court. And, and, and So the reason I'm saying this to you is a lot of times people get angry and they want to go to the court all the time. And the more times they go to the court without a legitimate reason, the judges get angry. Because you're going to see the same cycle of judges in the family division, regardless of what state you're in. So make sure you've got your ducks in a row before you go into the court. But if you have reason to believe that your ex is making more money in your child support and or alimony or whatever other payments you're entitled to should be adjusted, absolutely you can make that modification. Again, it's a family law issue. I would suggest that you retain an attorney. Sometimes you can get an attorney to help you with just that one issue, and it's not a tremendous expense. Um, but you know, doing it on your own is challenging, uh, can be dangerous. You might not get everything that you're entitled to, but I do understand that there are times when you absolutely cannot afford an attorney. If you go to your state court's website, most states, uh, New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, and, and most others, have some sort of pro se, again, representing yourself, pro se um, forms or handbook or guidebook that, that kind of helps you navigate the do-it-yourself kind of law. Um, and you can get the forms right there. Uh, I would also encourage you that when you guys watch this video, if you're not watching live and you watch the replay, if you have things that you'd like to learn how to do on your own. Pro se stuff that, that, that's something that, you know, you could handle. Um, in other words, not some massive trial, but you want to learn how to file an answer or draft an answer or something like that. Um, leave comments in the comment section below and we'll, we'll work on creating some videos in our, in our, um, our you know, how-to section that answers those questions for you. Uh, your your feedback is, is critical, really, because we're trying to do this to help you guys get a better grasp on the law. And I could just you know, tell you what I think is important, but what's really important is what you guys think is important. And the only way that I can know what you think is important is if you leave comments, 
right below the video in the little box below. Let me know, is this helpful? What kind of questions would you like to see answered? What sort of legal topics would you like us to discuss? We have the Understanding the Law radio broadcasts on our YouTube channel in addition to, to elsewhere, but let's talk about YouTube for a second. We have the um, live Q&A that we're doing right now that gets replayed. We have Law Basics, and we have you know the How-To section. So if you want some more specific content, answers to your specific questions, contact me. You can leave comments below. You can contact us uh, via social media. All of the links to our social media sites are on our YouTube page. Uh, if you're listening to this on, uh, on Blog Talk Radio, just swing over to utlradio.com. All the links to our social media are there as well. And you can send us emails and leave comments and feedback so that we know what's working, what's not working, what you like, and what other topics should be included. So that's it for today's Q&A. Uh, some of the questions that were asked live that we could not get to today, we'll just add them on to next week's uh, broadcast. I want to remind you that this Thursday, uh, September 11th, we have our Understanding the Law radio show. We're going to do something completely different. Uh, we're going to talk to people uh, about their 9-11 uh, stories. Uh, we're going to do something that has nothing to do with law, nothing to do with business, Normally our Thursday show, it's, it's primarily a business show, uh, and we talk to successful business people and entrepreneurs about their business, their tactics, how they're succeeding, what they've learned. Um, sometimes we get some legal stuff thrown in there. But uh, this Thursday, we're just going to talk about 9-11. Um, it's obviously so many years ago at this point. But it's very fresh in my mind. I was down there. I worked on Wall Street at the time. And, um, you know, we were just, my wife and I were just having our, our first um, baby. And I remember, you know, just being sh just shell-shocked, you know. And it was just really a, a frightening thing that I think um, influenced and changed my life. So I think it's only fitting that we continue to remember September 11th and that we talk about it um, you know it's kind of uh, it's still there but it's not what it was you know the year after the incident occurred I remember being down there the year after 9-11 and seeing the thousands and thousands of people walking the streets and even the following year but as time has gone on and you know it becomes more of a memory uh, people sort of forget and lose sight, and uh, I think it's important that we talk about it. So we'll see who we have coming on the show, but that's what the show is about. If you have 9-11 stories that you would like to talk about on the air, I encourage you to call in during the live show. Uh, that number is 347-855-8831. Again, it's 347-855-8831. And that's going to be this Thursday, 10 o'clock Eastern time. And we'll just, uh, you know, we'll just take it easy, see how it goes, and we'll just uh, share stories and talk about the events of that day. And uh, so, if you are interested, I encourage you to just tune in at that time. Uh, otherwise, I look forward to seeing your comments. And we'll be back next week with another live legal Q and A. Until then, um, remember that there's power in understanding the law. Thank you.